You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast coming to you again from our new little studio hovel inside the Eagle newsroom here uh, in Bryan, Texas, where we're still in the process of putting things together. We're still in the process of, of making this look real pretty, but you know, it's here. We got the equipment. We might as well use it. So hopefully uh, y'all are enjoying it and we'll have good things to come. I'm alongside Alex Miller of the Eagle. Alex, what's up, buddy? Oh, you know, uh, just trying to fight all the, the oak pollen that's surf surrounding us in the air. Oh, it's the worst. It's it the is worst. the absolute worst. And we're also joined via the, the miracle of technology by one Zachary Taylor. <laughs> Now, when Alex says he's actually fighting it, are you physically fighting it? Are you out there karate chopping a palm yeah. in half? Okay. All right. I have I a samurai sure. sword. Okay. You're like the is Batman it, when it comes to allergies. Is it signed season. by Randy Jackson? <laughs> no. <laughs> Stepbrothers out, that reference. Just out there this. in the parking lot, just taking it to the pollen. <laughs> you want to go uh, do karate in the basement? <laughs> <laughs> anyway we become best friends All right, yeah i think step, we did i think we did that brothers uh, references yeah uh, it's a great movie it's really a great movie um so we are uh so much going on i mean there, like especially this weekend if you don't have something to do in brian college station that's on you because there is literally everything you could possibly imagine going on between baseball spring football softball track track professional bull riding uh i think is ring day this weekend yeah ring friday day, friday yeah i and mean there's family something, there's something going on at the expo center too that's not yeah there's a gun related, show but yeah there's a it's gun ten dollars the expo center <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna go get your maybe you can get <laughs> Man, another samurai sword jeez yeah just no. all about the weapons right now no An attitude, I, nice assortment of knives hey, hey you can get the gun show for free right oh here. gosh <laughs> Can we just can we just stop the podcast now? Like, really? <laughs> we set him up for that one. Jeez. Oh, well, all of that to say, not to get Alex, you know, talking about his guns, but all that to say that there's a lot going on. There was a lot going on. I got back last week from New York City, the Big Apple, uh, for the NIT that the men's basketball team was in. So let's start there. Let's start with basketball because they put a nice little bow on their season they finished as runners up in the nit to a really really good xavier team um and the future is pretty bright for them with what they should be coming back um i'm gonna start with alex okay what was your take from what you were able to watch i know you weren't able to watch the first game as much because you were in austin covering baseball for me uh but but from from that from that as the season wrapped up what was your initial kind of takeaways from that basketball team you know i think for me we talked we talked leading up to the NIT finals of how we thought AM was kind of a team of destiny. And I think they were a team of destiny in the end in a sense of the season could be encapsulated by the phrase so close. Okay. So close to getting a, a key non conference win over TCU that probably would have helped them get into the NCAA tournament. So close to really busting the doors down and beating Kentucky at home in front of a record crowd that would have had, you know, a court storming. So close to getting a win over LSU, a third win over Arkansas, who went to the Elite Eight. So close to winning the SEC tournament and playing their way into the big dance. So close to actually getting that consolation prize and winning the NIT. They, they were so close in so many aspects. 
uh, but just couldn't get it done. And, and you know, you, you tip your cap to him for, you know, finding a way to fight through a lot of that and, and making something out of kind of a chaotic season. Um, but, you know, I think for me, too, what I noticed from this team is that, like you said, future's bright. They got a lot of key pieces coming back. Obviously, losing Quentin Jackson is going to be a big loss. But you've got so many guys coming back that have really kind of found their roles through the last two months of the season. You think about the way Henry Coleman really started playing down down the stretch, uh, and, and especially guys like Wade Taylor, Manny Abasaki. I mean, Wade Taylor really becoming a scoring threat, Abasaki really increasing his minutes, uh, finding his ways. And then, you know, you, you, you start going down the list just – you know, Andre Gordon and Hassan Diara, Hayden Hefner finding his role. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on with guys like Ethan Henderson, Aaron Cash. You know, I, I think that for for AM, you know, I think the cliche is that you can always use these kind of things as a springboard into next season. But I think that it really is true of this AM team. And, you know, it seems like the guys have really bought into what Buzz is trying to build himself. Uh, I feel like for for Buzz's team to be successful, they, they have to have that buy-in for what he is trying to do. And it seems like they're actually doing that now. It, you know, it, just like from listening to Buzz and what he was saying, the first two and a half years, he was really just trying to figure out what he had and where this program was going. I think they kind of have their identity now and have an idea of, okay, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. Here's how we do it. We know how to do it. And then they're going to try and continue that into next season, knowing they've got a lot of veteran pieces coming back. But obviously, there's still a lot of question marks. They still got to find that big man who can really be the five, that Josh Nebo type of player that they've been missing. Uh, you know, it would probably be good for AM to find an established point guard. They've have guys that can handle the ball and can do it well, but they don't have that true point guard. And now Marcus Williams is in the transfer portal. So I know I just kind of rambled on a monologue, but that's just kind of what I saw as AM wrapped up the NIT run they had. Zach, what do you say? Yeah, I think what they built over that stretch, uh, the last part of their their regular season, what they built over the NIT tournament run, you know, that's the first time really that Aggie fans have had a chance to see Buzz Williams coach a Texas A&M team in the postseason. Uh, you know, the first year, of course, you had the SEC tournament, uh, but then, of course, well, you didn't have the SEC tournament, excuse me, because that's when COVID hit, and then last year was mired by by COVID. You're stuck in that that mess. And so this was really the chance, the first chance that Aggie fans got to see postseason Buzz up close and personal. You'd seen how well he could coach in the regular season. You saw the great uh, winning streak and going into it with a hot hand going into the postseason. But how is this, this team going to react? How are they going to play uh, day in and day out through a grueling schedule that would be a postseason tournament? And so I think what they built over the last leg of the year is going to to radiate into next season. Because like Alex said, you got a lot of guys that are going to be coming back. Yeah, you're going to be missing Quentin Jackson. That's a huge one. But, you know, Jalen Johnson is a guy we didn't even hardly talk about him this year because obviously he got injured uh, in ACL tear. He's hoping to get a medical red shirt uh, that he can come back next season. If he's somehow able to go, that would be humongous for Texas A&M because he was really the big name transfer that had come in before this past season. Uh, and then, yeah, Hassan Diara, the guys that Manny Obasiki, the the players that you have had that you've been able to build around so far, 
Um, I think it's really a good nucleus of players that they've got. So um, all in all, when you look at it, I, I would say missing the NCAA tournament was a disappointment. A&M really shot themselves in the foot with that eight-game losing skid. Yes, they played great at the end, but you know if they win one more regular season game, if they had played, if they had won one more game in that eight-game losing skid, I think they would have had enough. I think that would have been enough for the committee to say, "Look, yeah, they might have lost seven of eight, but they're they're they ended this way. We need to let them into the NCAA tournament." That course didn't happen. Uh, in hindsight, how well they played in the NIT, you can make the argument that, well, maybe they should have been in over some other teams. Um, but yeah, it was a successful season, I think, all the way around, especially ending it on a high note as they did, taking that momentum into the offseason. Um, you know, there were some grumblings, there were some moans and groans, gripes and complaints from the from the fan base, kind of what well, what is Buzz Williams doing? Is he finally going to write this ship? He's come in, he's he's been working on building this. Yeah, COVID has really thrown a, a wrench into stuff, but can he can he write the ship and get this team to postseason ready? Uh, I think he's shown that they're ready to take that next step. Now they need to do that next year. They need to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think that um, I, I think that you are right, definitely with they need to find that next big guy, that that center that that can help supplement Henry Coleman down there, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, be able to to do that. I, you know, I'm not as concerned about the point guard situation because. They the, when they were playing so well at the end of the season, they're playing more like what Buzz Williams wants, which is that positionless one through four, basically. And you have guys. I mean, if as you saw it go on, Quentin Jackson handled the ball a little bit more. Tyrese Radford handled the ball a little bit more. There was even times that Manny Obasaki came in and was able to handle the ball because he plays in that same kind of role that Tyrese Radford does in being able to play one through four positionless in that system. That they can be the guy that takes the ball up. They can go play on the wing. They can. Play play the high post. They can kind of do any of those things in the system. And I think as Buzz continues to move on and recruit, I think he would like to get more Tyrese Ratfords if he can. Those kinds of guys that can that no matter where the ball is on the court, anyone can kind of slot into any of the positions one through four and let's, let's go. Let's get the offense going. And I think that uh, Manny Obaski is going to be huge in, in moving forward with that. I think you also have a pretty good ball handling point guard in Wade Taylor as well. It's just kind of getting him a little bit more under control and kind of honing in that aggressiveness that sometimes is, is great, uh, but sometimes causes things to be a little bit more out of control. I think another year in the system with all of these guys, um, especially having the guys that... Um, uh, that all these guys that really like each other and really like playing for each other, I think um, will, will be huge. If you look at some of the metrics here to close out the season, uh, Ken Palm... Uh, has them finished at 33, which is pretty good considering that Ken Palm also t started the season with them only winning eight conference games, I think, and they were able to kind of flip that script script a little bit. So, um, yeah, all-around good season. Another thing, too, I don't know why the NIT, for this reason, doesn't get more love. And the reason is... That was a really fun experience for those players getting to go to New York. I mean, think about the NCAA tournament. I've covered the NCAA tournament. You know, they were in it, Zach, when you were uh, been around this team. They go to Oklahoma City or Dayton, Ohio, or you know, sometimes you get lucky and go to a big city. But they're there for for four days, uh, and it's pretty much practice, hotel, game, hotel, practice, 
that's basically it. They might get to venture out around the hotel to get to a restaurant or something. And that's basically it. They got up to New York on um, Sunday and, and ended up staying through Friday. They all as a team got to see the Lion King. I know some of the players got to go see like the Natural History Museums. They did a lot of shopping. The whole team got to go to the Adidas um a flagship store that was in Times Square. They were saying they were in Times Square. That is as much as a bowl experience as any college basketball player is going to get in the sense that when football teams go to bowls, they get to go do fun events. They get to uh, play games, have good meals, things like that, get swag. And so I don't know. And I know the NIT is moving from New York next year, uh, at least for the next two years. They're going to have a bidding process. But, man, that's as fun as it gets for a college basketball player. And, and I know people want to call it the consolation tournament and you missed out, but if you can make it to that final four, that is a fun week. I had a fun week up there covering it. So, Yeah, and I, the fact that it's older than the NCAA tournament too. I mean, I think that gets lost on a lot of people. Before the NCAA was in, was in action, it was the NIT. But I, I think it does take a little bit of the luster away when you when you go away from Madison Square Garden, just the history and obviously everything around you in New York City. So I'm interested to see how much or maybe how much less attention will be drawn uh, for the fact that it's not at Madison Square Garden. But um, yeah, and, and of course, you get to see some really good basketball. Uh, it, really, when you get down to that to that point, when you're in that final four, you're seeing some pretty dang good teams out on the court. I get it that it's it's looked at as a consolation, as you said, by a lot of folks. But I mean, the game between between you know, A&M and Xavier was a tremendous ball game to watch, even if you weren't necessarily a fan of either team. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So let's just end the basketball segment with this. We'll go around the horn and we'll start with Zach. Most, if you look at the, a lot of these coaches making it to a deep run in the NIT and or winning the NIT usually springboards a team into making the NCAA tournament the next year. Is this an NCAA tournament team next year as it stands, maybe adding a piece or two from the transfer portal? Uh, for me, yeah, it, it has to be. It, it really does because, as I said, there have been a few moans and groans out there about where Buzz Williams was going to take this team. You know, you just got rid of a guy who had, had taken your squad to two sweet 16s uh, in the last five years, and then now, you know, you brought in a dude that's supposed to take you to that next level has yet to happen, uh, but I think this year was certainly a good step. They'd need to make the NCAA tournament next year. I think they will. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And, I mean, you kind of just look at the landscape of the SEC as well. Man, there's a lot of turnover. How many coaching changes have we already seen? And, and you think about the contenders that a and going to be facing. Kentucky's obviously going to be good. Arkansas is bringing back a lot of guys. But, like, a, a team like Tennessee, they lose a lot. LSU has literally lost every single player on their roster after Will Wade got fired. I mean, there's going to be a lot of rebuild around the SEC. And the fact that a has got some solid pieces in place, that's going to go a long way. And, and, you know, how many games this year did a and end up losing by just less than five, 10 points. I mean, could have, could have easily just gone the Aggies way. I mean, I think next year A&M wins a lot of those games where they may have lost them this year. Uh, and, and a lot of that goes to, you know, the experience that A&M brings back compared to the rest of the league. Yeah, I think if they can go to the transfer portal, maybe get one more shooter and another little bit to bolster the the, the post, especially uh, the offensive side of the post play, man, I think that is not only an NCAA tournament team, I think it's a team that can win a game or two 
uh, in the NCAA tournament that that still has some room to grow in the years to come. So uh, that puts a nice little bow on basketball. Of course, you mentioned Marcus Williams uh, hit the transfer portal. We'll have to see what happens uh, with that as well. But while I was covering the semifinal game, while A&M uh, was, was beating Washington State, you were in Austin watching A&M baseball pretty surprisingly taking it to Texas. Yeah, you know, we were talking before the game, Travis, and the wind was blowing so hard out to left field. And as, as much as A&M's pitching had struggled, I was just thinking, man, Texas, they are a great hitting team. Uh, this could this could get ugly potentially, and yeah, Texas scored nine runs, but Hanum scored more because Jack Moss hit for the cycle and Dylan Rock hit a grand slam. I mean, it, it just everything went A and M's way, even when things were not. And you know the the fact that A and M was able to withhold Texas, and you know Ivan Melendez had a couple of hits, but he didn't really do much damage. Uh, and and where Texas made their big punches, it, it wasn't enough to to really overcome uh, what what A&M was able to reciprocate on that end at, at the plate themselves. Jack Moss was fantastic. I mean, uh, legging out that triple in, there in the eighth. I mean, it, that was that was a big win for A&M. You f- you felt like uh, they they really were were starting to turn a corner, and then of course you know they come back. And, and they lose the, the weekend series after that. Um, man, it's just kind of been a roller coaster of a season for them. Uh, it, game by game, too. It's, it's just high highs, low lows. We've talked about the bullpen. It's just, it's just all over the place. But, yeah, that went over Texas. What a, it was a great atmosphere, too. Last night, talked to Jim Schlossnagel after the big win against a really, really good Texas State team midweek, and it, it, there is something to the something that he said, and that is, this is a team that really enjoys seemingly being the underdog. If you look at going away to at LSU to start the SEC conference slate, an eighth-ranked LSU team, and they they take that series from them when they were far and away supposed to be the underdogs. They beat Texas when they're far and away supposed to be underdogs, and they were far and away supposed to be the underdogs against this Texas State team, and it. Was was a pretty dominating win other than just the last inning. Um, I, I think there is something to that well, enjoying being in that underdog situation and enjoying that kind of David and Goliath type scenario per se. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's something to that. The fact that you're you're playing an interstate rival adds something else to it as well, uh, especially as, as Alex mentioned, you know, the Everything that was going on at Texas and even Texas State, for that matter, a lot of these guys uh, grew up playing against one another. Um, the big question is, can you take that success from the midweek matchups and put that towards the weekend series? You know, losing back-to-back SEC series. I don't know if you could call Auburn and Alabama inferior opponents, but that's going to be some of the best chances that a and going to get moving forward based on the teams you're going to be playing. You're going to be playing kind of a murderer's row uh, really good teams. You're not going to get Tennessee this year. Schloss talked to us about that, but um, you're going to be getting the Arkansas, the Mississippis, the the Mississippi states of the world. So um, can A&M make that success that they have in the midweek matchups, at least, especially over these last couple of weeks, can they put that towards actual SEC play? Um, also, whenever you're talking about the midweek matchups, you've got the one single game. You don't have to worry about playing for tomorrow. Uh, you don't have to worry about uh, saving arms in the bullpen, so to speak. I get that you're not throwing your your weekend starters out there, and it might not be who you typically have in the uh, coming out of the pen, but you still have that 
that cushion, I guess, and knowing that you've got a break the next day or two. Um, so it's a little bit different whenever you're playing a series versus a single game, but they do need to take that success they've had midweek and, and put that towards the weekend series. Yeah, for sure. You know, the thing that I'm writing my story on for tomorrow that you can catch in the Eagle, this is Wednesday, so in the Thursday's edition of the Eagle is the fact that they suffered a lot of injuries early in the season with Kali Harrison, with Trevor Werner, uh, Kali Harrison at shortstop, Trevor Warner at third base, Ryan Targot, who was playing second, filled in at short and third in some of those situations. Uh, he, he's back, but Werner and, and Kali Harrison are still out. And, and that left a really big gap in the infield. And Austin Boast, who was an outfielder, who had played some third base in his past, apparently knocked on uh, Jim Schlossnagel's door and said, hey, I see where the lineup, where we're having some issues. I see where we're not being able to get some of our good bats in. Put me at second base. I can do it. And he, they, the first time he ever started a uh, D1 college game at second base was that uh, LSU series. And that LSU series is where things have been trending upwards for the bats. The bats have not really been a problem for A&M uh, since conference, see, this conference slate has started. It's been able to get Dylan Rock into left field where Austin Boast was playing. Austin Boast is at second. Uh, I mean, even uh, Brett Minich, uh, Minich, who's a right fielder, said they have Logan Britt batting eighth, and he might be the best eight-hole hitter in the league um, with what he can, the power that he has. So it, it is interesting how just shuffling that one little piece has kind of been able to turn the key and unlock everything. And, and Boast hasn't been playing bad defense. I, I don't know what, no. what y'all two have been able to see, but but what stood out to you about Austin Boast so far? Yeah, no, I think I think you you nailed it. I mean, the fact that a has been able to, you know, on the fly kind of adjust their lineup, that's been big. I mean, Kali Harrison, he 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 was he was kind of a, a, a bright spot for the team last year. Uh and and yeah, I mean obviously Dylan Rock, he he's been he's been hitting it pretty well and, you know, just being able to really get the offense going, knowing that the bullpen has been struggling. You know, you mentioned the injuries in the field on the on the mound too. You know, you think about the the losses of Trey Dillard and some of the other guys, and now Christian Curtis. I mean, A and M's just been really feeling the injury bug, and so being able to you know fill those holes uh, with a little bit of success. I mean, that that certainly helps as A and M's trying to fight along here through through conference play. It was really interesting hearing Schloss talk about Austin Boast and the need to get his bat in the lineup, but having a hard time putting him in exactly the right spot, obviously playing a lot of outfield, and then saying, hey, look, he, he can play a serviceable second base. And some could even argue that some of the plays, especially that he's made at times, have been above serviceable. It's been pretty dang good at second base. So being able to put him in there, keep his bat in the lineup while also having a good defender in the infield uh, has has really been one of the good things that's happened for the Aggies this year in a year that's had a lot of unfortunate events uh, as far as injuries go. Um, but yeah, uh, it, that's been huge. Just having that lineup one through nine stay as strong as possible, being able to put your best bats out there um, has certainly paid off dividends. I think as the weather warms up, as guys start to get in the swing of things, the bats start to come around. It's hard to be on fire right when the season begins, right? But right now, a&M is, is batting pretty well up one through nine. They just need to get the starting rotation 
uh, in set and, and get those guys on track. And then, of course, the bullpen has been the big question throughout the year. Can they right the ship uh, on the back end of things? So and the we'll bullpen, see if they can do that this weekend. Yeah, and the bullpen will have their hands full because uh, Kentucky enters as the 37th best team in the nation, fifth in the SEC in batting average, batting 298 as a team. They're also 28th in the nation with doubles with uh, 63 and 29th with hits at 298 this season. They can hit the ball. They also have a pitcher, Chase Eastip, who is, uh, excuse me, Darren Williams, pitcher, who is sixth in the nation in ERA at 0.93. So pretty good all-around team. Another good SEC test. See if they can be able to have that kind of underdog mentality going into it. Yeah, and I don't know if y'all have noticed, but uh, it's pretty windy around here this week. <laughs> yeah. So we'll That's see which way the wind's of... blowing, but if it's blowing out, there could be some balls go go out of the yard. You're going to probably yeah, want to but... be sure to park for that baseball game extra early because, like we said, there is everything going on in Aggieland this weekend. And one of those things is spring football. The, the maroon and white game, it the, the culmination of spring football happens. We're going to talk a little bit of Texas A&M football after this break. Welcome back to the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown. Over there, Alex Miller, Zach Taylor on the interwebs, joining us there from his WTAW studios. Uh, football, A&M football. I will admit... I'll be the first to admit that because of NIT going long, the men's basketball season going long, and uh, baseball going on, I haven't been to a single spring football practice this year. Alex, I know you've been to a lot of them. Zach, Zach, do you do you usually check out the spring football practice? Do you like do you watch some stretching? Well, typically with my day starting at four thirty here in the studio, uh, I usually don't make it to the stretching uh, and warm up. Uh, portions obviously I get to talk a little bit with Jimbo Fisher but um, I, I try to make it to at least a couple throughout the spring but I'm not I'm not there day in day out like some of our our media brethren and, and you do have you do have a mini me that's taking up some of your I do. time as well yeah now, it's so. weird how kids do that right yeah so so I, I will <laughs> I will add on or to that that we're hearing good reports about stuff as you always do during spring ball um, a lot of good defensive lineman action a lot of good things we're hearing from the wide receivers and the tight ends um alex what is the position group that you focused in on a little bit more you were able to see uh, in the few times that you were out there watching yeah you know i i think everybody of course wants to talk about the quarterbacks i mean i think jimbo's made it pretty clear it's a pretty tight race you know some of the some of the positions that that i've focused on you know a guy that's really stood out to me is evan stewart at wide receiver i mean He's the he was the big catch per se in in the 2022 class, uh, and he's you know Anum's hoping he's going to be that guy who's that downfield explosive threat that that piece that they've kind of just been missing in the offense where that they haven't had the consistent playmaker that can go downfield. You know he's already worked his way up to the starting lineup. I mean that that's that says a lot in itself. Uh, Jimbo's offense it. From, from what we've been able to gather, it's not something you can just pick up overnight necessarily. And you've seen how even some of AM's best playmakers uh, over the years uh, under Jimbo, you think about Anaya Smith and Jalen Wattemeyer, even Kellen Mond, who turned out to be a pretty good quarterback, you know, it took them time to really grasp the offense and really get into a groove in that system. It seems like Evan Stewart's been able to pick that up from the get go, and that's a huge plus for AM. You know, 
you you look at you look at uh, across the board too. There's a lot of guys out with injury, which we already knew and we've talked about. Um, so you've seen a lot of the younger guys getting in some reps. You know, at, at running back is very thin right now. Uh, that's kind of an interesting position with Devon A. Chain doing track, L.J. Johnson being nicked up with a hamstring. You've seen a little more of Anaya Smith back there at running back. You'll probably see that on Saturday as well. You know, I'm really curious how Amari Daniels and Ernest Crownover look. They're mm-hmm. they're two very different backs. Uh, Daniels is kind of the home run threat. Uh, Crownover, if he put 10 more pounds of muscle on himself, he'd probably look like Derrick Henry. So... I mean, I mean, it's kind of the yeah, it's kind of the A chain L J Johnson. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so with that being said, you know, at receiver you've kind of got you've kind of got some interesting looks going on. Moose Muhammad's getting some more looks, uh, but on defense too. I mean, it's a total rework on the defensive line, and they're missing some they're missing some starters up there too, uh, with McKinley Jackson out and a couple others. But you know, guys like Shamar Turner, uh, Tamise Adelier. Uh, Fidel Diggs has had a really good spring. And then Jimbo's been real big on his linebackers. That's been a veteran core, uh, at, at defensive back, you know, they're missing some starters there as well with Tyreek Chappelle and Jalen Jones, Antonio Johnson's been out with a minor injury. So you're seeing some, a lot of the younger guys, it seems like out there too, with Bryce Anderson, Denver Harris, uh, Jarden Gilbert's been a guy that's been talked a lot, uh, this spring. So, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of youth on the field, it seems like, on Saturday. Um, and, and you got to put a little asterisk next to it, uh, knowing that there's a lot of returning starters that would be on the field uh, if it weren't for some of these minor injuries that they're being held out for. Um, but I know I just kind of rambled all over the <laughs> field, kind of like how Jimbo does in his press conference. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of all over the place, it seems like. We talked a lot about the wide receivers here. The two things that I'm looking for most – in this wide receiver group, it seems like for the last three years, basically since Jimbo's been here, they've had a really good stable of possession receivers. And I'd like to see who's going to be the home run threat, which Caleb Chapman looked like he could be that guy if he could stay healthy um, with, with the, the speed. Who's going to be the home run threat? And who's going to be that one guy that they have that can actually go up and high point a ball, that, that can go vertical and, and, and be the, the kind of vertical threat that they really haven't had it since... And y'all can help me out here. Maybe Ricky Seals-Jones, but even Ricky Seals-Jones wasn't necessarily that great at high-pointing the ball when he was in college. I, I don't know who you can say. Maybe was it um, Damian Ratley? It, 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 it would have to be Evans. That I mean, at least sticking out to me, I don't remember Ricky Seals-Jones really going up and taking taking 50-50 balls. He had the, the body where he should have been that guy. You know, he should have been, yeah. Jo- Josh Reynolds made some pretty yeah, big plays. Yeah, yeah, Josh Reynolds, Josh Reynolds so, yeah. was a really good receiver. He was able to go up and high point and, and be that be that guy that if you do want to throw a corner fade to the end zone when you're inside, you know you have a guy who's going to go up and get the they they haven't had that really at all. even Christian Kirk wasn't really even that guy. He was a possession receiver. Jamon Osmond was a possession receiver. I want to see if they have some guys who can be that home run threat and who can be that that guy who can go up and get a ball. I'll tell you a guy who we've already seen go up and get it is Moose Muhammad. Yeah. Uh, now it was in limited play and against maybe some inferior talent at times, but he's shown that he has that capability in game. Now I have no idea what these guys were showing in practice last year. Uh, but again, Moose Muhammad was a dude that you saw him make some plays. You're thinking, why isn't he getting more playing time? 
And lots of folks were asking about Demon Demas. Demas did get quite a bit of playing time last year, and I don't recall seeing that a lot from him. I don't recall having seen the 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 lightning speed and and being able to break away from the defenders and going up and and grabbing the 50-50 balls. I mean, everybody remembers the Ole Miss game. Well, I mean, that's that's a non-factor at this point with Demas now gone from the program. So you're thinking, well, who is going to be the next big guy? Who's going to be the next big thing, the big athletic player? Evan Stewart has obviously been on everyone's mind. There are plenty of other players that that have come into the fold. Um, I, I'm looking at wide receiver, but as far as the passing game goes, we know how much Jimbo Fisher loves the tight end. We know how much it has been used. And since he got here to Texas A&M, well, I mean, look at his career. It's been used the entire time. Who is going to be that guy that fills Jalen Watermeyer's shoes? Baylor Cup was supposed to be the guy. He's now in the transfer portal. So you're looking at some really talented but very young players. Who is going to be the safety blanket, so to speak, that can play at tight end, make the big catches on on third and short, what have you, and being able to fill those shoes in that role? Well, and if if you have the home run threat – playing like a true X, if you have another guy out wide who is your go-get-it guy or or can stretch the defense a little bit, then you can actually play Anaya Smith where he's supposed to be being played in the slot uh, or or running the slot-type routes no matter where he's lined up, and he can be your security blanket. I think too many times they knew last year that if you – put guys on Weidermeyer, and even if you didn't, because he was really prone to drop the ball last year, and you put guys on Smith, you could let those other guys beat you a little bit. And I, I think that maybe if you have a few more threats like that, and I Smith could be that guy. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, and so to, to each of your points, I think, I think you know, we, 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 we're talking about who can be that go-getter person, and Zach mentioning how much the tight end is involved with Jimbo's offense. Yeah, of course. I mean, Jay Sternberger was that guy. Jalen Watermeyer was that. How many times on third down did we see Jalen Watermeyer run like a 10-yard in, and you knew exactly where it was going, and then the defense couldn't cover, and he got a first down for AM, especially when they went 9-1, and one, best team on third down in the country. You know, with Baylor Cup gone, uh, it seems like Jake Johnson is the guy that's really coming along just from watching practice, hearing things. He's really the guy that, you know, if he continues on that trajectory that he's been going on, he's a guy that could potentially start from day one. And, uh, you know, Max Wright, uh, he's clearly a veteran guy that's back. Uh, they've got some younger guys at tight end. You know, it was interesting. I, I feel like I feel like back on signing day, we were talking, Travis, your big thing was like, what are they going to do with all these tight ends? And here we go. They're, they're starting to, you know, they're trying, they're starting to pan out and see where they fall in line. Um, and you know, they've got two more coming in with Donovan Green and Theo Olstrom, uh, from Sweden. So, you know, Jake Johnson seems to be the guy. How interesting would it be to see Johnson and Johnson on the connection? Uh, baby, you know, baby, I don't think that's outlandish. I don't think it's outlandish. <laughs> And, uh, but maybe powder combo, you know, I, yeah, I know. But I, I think that, I think that, uh, if there's a guy to watch, it's Jake Johnson. I'm curious if he ends up playing on Saturday. Cause we know he's been out for a little bit of spring ball with a, with a little bit of a leg injury. Uh, but you know, that, that's certainly a key position to watch in terms of the possession guy, because yeah, that, that is A&M's possession guy is mm-hmm. the tight end spot, you know, Chase Lane returns. You know, Jamon Osmond was kind of a, a, a possession guy. 
you know, pretty good at catching the ball. You threw it to him. It was going to be a completion. But they've all been possession guys. Yeah, yeah. they've all been possession guys. Uh, and, and I think Evan Stewart's going to be that game-breaker dude if he continues on this trajectory. You know, from hearing Damani Richardson on Tuesday, he said the two guys he wants to go up against in practice is Anias Smith and Evan Stewart. And he listed Evan Stewart first. Mm-hmm. So we know what Anias Smith brings to the table for AM. We know how good of a route runner and how hard of a matchup he is. And Damani said he likes uh, going against them because it improves his technique. So what does that say about Evan Stewart's route running ability and his athleticism uh, for the senior guy on the team to already want to go against him on -on one-on-ones? So, you know, you've seen glimpses of that in practice where, you know, they're doing cone drills and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think Saturday is really going to be – you know, the chance to to look in and see. I think one other spot I've got an eye on, too, is that is that tackle spot opposite of Reuven Fathery. Because mm-hmm. Fathery is for sure going to gonna hold down one of those spots. But who's who's going to be that other guy? Uh, Trey Zoon seems to be having a pretty good spring ball. Uh, and, PJ and, Williams could slide in there. Yeah, uh, but it's, yeah, so it seems like, it seems like Zoon's kind of the front runner right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I'm I'm pretty curious to see how how the O line gels. Uh, A&M's got a lot of depth at guard. You know Bryce Foster is going to be your center. How does it shake out with that tackle spot on the other end, replacing Kenyon Green? Real quick before we get to our last subject, I know you have the list of injuries of guys that we probably won't expect to see in the spring game. We'll run down that real quick so uh, we get that out out in the uh, in the <laughs> podcast world. Well, I've actually left that list in the other room. Well, then we're not going to do that. <laughs> so we'll just go ahead and get to that last subject, and that is let's go ahead right now and get on record, get on tape, who we think what 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 we think the quarterback order is going to be this fall but oh let's boy. do it let's do it pre spring game so next week we can come back and see how wrong we were <laughs> In our pre-spring game estimates, because that's what this is all our, about, right? Our way just, too early predictions. Isn't is this isn't all isn't podcasting and previewing all just about how seeing how wrong you are every time? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. So uh, I'll, I'll go first. Wrong or the right? I'll go first because I'm the one who brought it up. I think okay. the way I've been putting it with people is, if I was to bet my money, <clears> my <throat> money is on Haynes King to start. If I'm betting Alex Miller's money, it's going to be Connor Wigman to start. Um, because I, I, I just the way that Jimbo talks about him, there's something special there that I could see him wanting to that rising through the cream of the crop. Now that might have changed a little bit when we were talking to some of the players yesterday, and they said that he's he's still making some rookie mistakes. He's making some freshman mistakes, but everyone said uh, it was um, Anaya said that he would trust him to go out there right now and and be QB one if if his number was called. So I, I think you got to lean on Haynes King. I'm gonna say. Haynes King, Connor Wegman, Max Johnson's the way it's going to finish, but they probably will run Max Johnson out as the uh, uh, backup if if the, it fell that way, just because of, el- uh, of of years they have eligibility and stuff like that. Uh, Zach, what say you? Uh, I, I think I've been pretty vocal and probably you're always pretty vocal. Yeah, well, that's true. I'm the radio guy, right? But a little bit more than other folks uh, that cover the team, I think it's Haynes King's job to lose. Um, I know that everyone saw him in in limited play last year, but, you know, and we talk about the success that Connor Wigman had in high school and the dual threat kind of talent that he had. Uh, You know, Haynes King was a blue chip recruit too. Now, maybe not on the exact same level as Connor Wigman, but he was a pretty dang good player 
coming out of Longview High School a few years ago, and he was supposed to be the heir apparent last year. He just got hurt early on in the second game of his regular season career. So I, I think with his knowledge of the offense, having worked with Jimbo Fisher and just his talent, I think he's a talented quarterback. I think he is going to be your, your starter. I think that Max Johnson is going to be the number two guy because he is a veteran. He has experience. If you have a situation like you did this past year where, you know, and hopefully you don't, you never want to see the a guy get hurt. But if Haynes King were to go down with something or just be out of the game, Max Johnson has that experience that he can come in, I think, and take over the reins and lead a team and not be overwhelmed. I think that we saw at times where Zach Calzada was overwhelmed this season, and that was because probably some lack of experience. Um, and, you know, I, I think that you would say the same thing with Connor Wigman. And I agree with you, and I hadn't really thought about it much until you brought it up. But, yeah, you very well could have Connor Wigman just as a red shirt for this season. Um, you know, you have him there in case. You get him as many as many snaps and practice as you can. Uh, he continues to learn the offense, and he is a very, very talented guy who, yeah, could be the – he could be a Heisman Trophy winner for all we know. I mean, I think he has that kind of talent, but he's still so young. And why play an 18-year-old when you've got a 21-year-old who is experienced and pretty talented in his own right in Haynes King, and then you've got a veteran in Max Johnson who's won some big ball games. So um, I, I think it's going to go King, Johnson, Wigman. The only way that that changes if, is if somebody gets hurt throughout the year and even if Haynes King does get injured, I think Max Johnson's going to be the guy they call on. Yeah, I think I'm going to echo the sentiment you guys have. I think I think it's Haynes King's job to lose. I think I think Connor Wigman will end up being his biggest competition. Uh, but yeah, I think I see it going Haynes King as starter, uh, Max Johnson the backup, and Wigman third, just for eligibility's sake. You know. Um, just from hearing what Jimbo's saying about Connor Wegman, uh, quick learner, competitor, uh, but we've also known that Haynes King has also had the same thing said about himself. Mm -hmm. And so knowing knowing that it takes time for a quarterback, especially quarterback, to get a grasp of Jimbo's offense, you look at what Kellen Mond was year one in Jimbo's offense versus his last year, year three, I mean, just night and day difference. And, you know, this will be Haynes King's third year in Jimbo's offense. This is Connor Wigman's third month in Jimbo's offense. Same with Max Johnson. You know you know your floor's a little higher probably with Max Johnson, given he's got a full season in the SEC under his belt. He's got experience. Uh, and But at the same time, you know, Haynes, Haynes has been the guy. He's already been named the starter before. Uh, it's his job to lose, but the 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 talent in Connor Wegman speaks for itself. Uh, just watching in practice, he throws the best ball. He you've seen on tape and when he was in high school, just the competitiveness and the drive that he's got. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be a tight battle that continues into August. But, uh, yeah, I'll say Haynes King is the guy to beat right now. Well, it's a busy week full of all kinds of things going on, a busy weekend, everything. You'll, you, we'll be at spring football. Zach, you, you going to watch it all from the comfort of the couch? Um, so I actually have an event that I'm doing with my church on Saturday. Yeah! There we go. The game even was. So uh, we are doing uh, an egg hunt with the kiddos at Wolfpin Creek Park. So I will be emceeing 
am that, seeing the event and trying to stay out of traffic. Will you or won't you be dressed as the actual Easter Bunny? I will not be dressed. As, the Easter Bunny can't talk. Why not? Yes, it because can. Because that's not how it works. No. When, when was the last time you saw a talking Easter Bunny? I feel like I that, that's exactly, not a thing. Exactly. Exactly. He's not, not supposed to talk. I can't be the MC and be the Easter Bunny at the same time. He's got a point. Well, I guess you do. Well, anyway, that being said, all kinds of things to do this weekend. Go check it out. We also have a great story on the Eagle. Uh, I, 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 mean, it's, I shouldn't say it's great. I, I did write it. But a story on the Eagle about <laughs> the PBR event that's happening. You can be the judge if it's great or not. You know, So go check that out as well. Uh, and uh, be sure to continue to check theeagle.com and tune into WTAW each and every day for more updates on the Aggies goings on. So for Zach Taylor and Alex Miller, I'm Travis Brown. This is the My Aggie Nation podcast, and we'll see you next week. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way to must have seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl, we know that's true. If we want to keep it, we got to watch everything that we do, yeah, yeah. Don't want to make sure my baby, make sure you're sticking with me. Don't want to make sure that we'll be all that we can be, all that we can be, all that we can be.